This is Gliza for Classical Adventures for One, where I read classical work dramatically and discuss things about that work that I find interesting and want to share with my listeners. If that's something that you're into, stick around and let's talk about fictional books of the past. recording today's dramatic reading of chapter 5, Advice from a Caterpillar, and I hope you enjoyed listening to it too. The Caterpillar is really one of my favorite characters, even from before I actually started reading the book. I always saw him as just this snobbish but sassy entity. If you haven't heard my dramatic reading yet, you can always go to the link below and listen to it there. Having said all that, welcome to the second part of my fifth episode of my own adventures in Wonderland. Today's art pieces were made by one of my most talented friends, Azra. They live in Korea right now and I can't wait to receive the physical copy of these watercolor artworks that you're seeing right now. They're not only gifted in watercolor, they are also super talented in poetry and they are super intuitive. They do all kinds of things, but what I love most about them is that they're such a great source for mental health awareness. I've learned so much from just watching them and listening to them. If you're interested in their awesome work, visit the link in my description to hear more about them. Here's a confession that I'm gonna have to make to you guys. When I first started reading Twilight by Stephanie Mayer, I scoffed at the love story and what to me was very uninspired writing. But for some unknown reason, I just couldn't put it down. It reminded me of how I felt when I first read Harry Potter as an adult. And I know there are many who are listening to me right now that must be clutching their pearls and saying, oh, you don't compare Harry Potter and Twilight, never ever. And to that I tell you, I can do whatever I please, but they would at least be right in a sense that they really don't have anything in common except maybe my opinion that the writing is uninspired. And yet, the world of Twilight and the world of Harry Potter is fantastic. I'm really a big fan of world building and it's always one of the most exciting things that I look forward to when it comes to reading books, especially fantasy and sci-fi. I realize that though the writing is not as interesting or as witty or as inspired as I like it to be, if the world is wonderful, it does result in me having a difficult time putting down the book. I really enjoy reading about myths and the world as much as I value character growth. Today I want to focus on the world that Alice visited, specifically the Wonderland world and maybe touch a little bit on the Looking Glass world of the sequel. Both worlds, as described by Lewis Carroll, which is the pen name of Charles Ludwig Dodson, they fall under the style of literary nonsense. Just from the name of the style itself, it can be easy to tell that Charles doesn't really play by strict rules with his worlds. Though he definitely was not the first person to write with that style, I want to argue that Charles was definitely the one to make it a worldwide phenomenon with Jabberwocky 
as it appears in Through the Looking Glass, being the quintessential example of literary nonsense, which today I'm going to try my hardest to read to you right now and tell me if this isn't the most nonsensical poem you've ever heard in your life. Twas brillig and slithy toves, did gyre and gimble in the wabe, all mimsy were the burgoves and the moam wraths outgrabe. Beware the jabberwock, my son, the jaws that bite, the claws that catch. Beware the jubjub bird, and shun the frumious bandersnatch. He took his vorpal sword in hand, long time the mansome foe he sought. So rested he by the tumtum tree, and stood a while in thought. And as in uffish thought he stood, the jabberwock, with eyes of flame, came whiffling through the tulgy wood, and burbled as it came. One, two, one, two, and through and through, the vorpal blade went snicker-snack. He left it dead, and with its head he went galumphing back. And hast thou slain the jabberwock? Come to my arms, my beamish boy, O frabjous day, kaloo, kalay, he chortled in his joy. Twas brillig and the slithy toves did gyre and gimble in the wave. All mimsy were the borgoves, and the moam rats outgrade. Super nonsense, and yet it feels like it should make sense, as if there's a certain logic to it, and if you read it hard enough, it'll definitely make sense. That's how it is in Wonderland. Alice tries to make sense of the chaos in the illogical world, and is always at a loss, but there is logic to the world one only has to look hard enough. The first thing you'll realize about this world is that location is chaotic in that it changes from one to the next with a blink of an eye. It starts with a fall, a very long fall where it seems to go on forever and ever and then to a long haul and then a sea of tears of our own making and then what seems like a woodsy sort of house. Basically, things change very quickly and without much explanation. It definitely has a dreamy feel to it, and it reminds me of the weirdness of our own dreams where things change so much. And much like Alice lost in Wonderland, we tend to just accept the changes in our dreams. Even the world of the looking glass in the sequel of Alice in Wonderland, it acts much in the same manner. Even though I believe that the sequel has more rules to it, and there is a general pattern that it follows, as compared to Wonderland. In fact, Wonderland is so chaotic that when Alice tries to look at that world in a logical manner, it only causes more unfortunate situations for the very talkative and inquisitive girl. Susan Stradioto of SusanStradioto.com says, Alice attempts to fit the behaviors into a logical structure failing to understand that Wonderland's order is defined by chaos. Even Alice's ability to change size is a little chaotic too. One would think that drinking something meant she would become small and eating something would mean she would become big as that was the first thing that had happened in the first chapter, but we see multiple ways of her becoming bigger and smaller through different methods. Using a fan in chapter 2, she became smaller. Drinking another potion caused her to become big in chapter 4, whilst eating pebble-turned cake made her shrink in the same chapter, completely turning the first chapter on its head. 
Finally, in chapter 5, she finds a mushroom where munching on opposite sides made her bigger or smaller depending on which side. Personally, I think it's just another aspect of it being obviously dreamland. Maybe it's Alice lucidly dreaming up ways of becoming bigger or smaller depending on what she needed at the moment. Because each way of becoming bigger or smaller only appeared when she seemed to desperately want it. Or maybe because since this book is targeted for an audience of children, Alice never really met an obstacle that really stopped her from moving forward, nor was she ever in any real danger. As for the locals of this fictional country underneath the earth, they were mostly talking animals and beings that had no business being able to talk to Alice, and yet talk they did. Another sign that Alice was just dreaming this whole thing up was her not really questioning that fact that the animals were talking to her. She pretty much just takes it in stride. Though Alice does not really seem to be the easily shocked type as we see how she reacts to things in the real world when she's not dreaming. So who really knows? Anyways, the local themselves are very chaotic as well. But as you continue to read the book, you realize that there is a pattern still to their chaos. One of the things I really love about the book is the ability that Charles has to play with words. And here with the locals, there's always a play with words in how you see them. One of my favorite lines in the book is when Alice was talking to the Cheshire cat, and it reveals a lot about the Wonderland world. And let me read that to you. But I don't want to go among mad people, Alice remarked. Oh, you can't help that, said the cat. We're all mad here. I'm mad, you're mad. How do you know I'm mad, said Alice. You must be, said the cat, or you wouldn't have come here. That line gives me goosebumps because it's so well written and reveals much of what the locals are like in Wonderland. Their whole world doesn't make sense and therefore chaos is in their nature. They don't blink an eye when the young girl becomes bigger or smaller by eating random things. They're all mad there. So what's a couple more cases of madness, right? The government in Alice in Wonderland is also hilariously chaotic. It seems that the land is run by royalty which consists of playing cards with the king and queen of hearts leading the way both of whom are kind of ridiculous when it comes to actually ruling the land. The queen declares heads to be removed at whatever situation, and yet maybe because it's a children's book, no heads actually roll. Having said that, though there's a lack of rolling heads, the locals of the land still fear this capricious queen, for she does sound like a beast unhinged, according to the book. Her husband, the king of hearts, seemed to be the kinder of the two, but not really the smarter one though. In the courtroom scene of the book, we see this whole chaotic energy being the norm once more. The jury present in the trial have to write down their own names, lest they forget it at the end of their trial, and no one blinks an eye, they just roll with it. The only one who seems to not accept it is Alice, the outsider. Speaking of outsider, Alice is a clear intruder in this world. Richard Morton in his essay Alice's Adventures in Wonderland and Through the Looking Glass says, The society is independent of Alice and generally little interested in her. The Mad Hatter and his friends do not call her back after she bustles theatrically away from the party. 
The various servants neglect or ignore Alice. The animals, when the interview is concluded to their satisfaction, just go away. The Wonderland and Looking Glass creatures are there, minding their own business before the appearance of Alice. They remain unchanged after Alice leaves. When you compare the world that is found in Through the Looking Glass to the one in Wonderland, the Looking Glass world is more logical and has more structure. There is a very clear set of rules in the land of mirrors that Alice enters in, and everything is mirrored and reversed, and this whole imagery is repeated everywhere in the book. There's a clear beginning and end, whilst the Wonderland world, you have this feeling of where the chapters can be moved around, and you'd still understand most of the story. Yet, as I mentioned earlier, though the world of Wonderland is chaotic, it is a chaos that makes sense to the locals in it. They play by their own rules. They are not chaotic for chaos's sake. And maybe it only appears to be crazy to us like it appeared crazy to Alice. Because like the Chessar cat, maybe we're just not mad enough to be part of Wonderland. Most of my sources have come from the actual books themselves and what I thought about them when I read them. I am sure there are many more well-researched and better-read people than I that can come up with a clearer understanding of the world of Wonderland, and some I've even used and coded with the source linked below. I suppose, though, that's the whole thing with literary nonsense. It's not just a string of sentences put together. It's a world that plays by its own rules, rules that maybe we are not privy to. Try as I might, I and others like me really are not able to explain the whole world and everyone experiences this rules different. Rules that we can only participate in, like Alice participating in the world of Wonderland and the Looking Glass without truly understanding it. And who's to say the people of those worlds understood what the rules are as well? After all, everyone is bad there, including us. For we're all mad here in Wonderland, or else we wouldn't be here. Definitely thank you guys for joining me on this adventure, and if you're listening to this on YouTube, please remember to subscribe, like, and share if you found this episode interesting. I would love to hear from you, so please leave a comment below if you have anything that you want me to know or tips to improve on. If you're listening to it anywhere else, please subscribe, like, and share it to people you think might like it anyway. And you can also email me at classicalgliza at gmail.com. Again, I'm Gliza, and this has been Classical Adventures for One. See you on the next adventure. Music